Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things, and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. I'm Winsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? I am doing weird. This was a lot of fun. And this was both a Halloween episode, a horror movie episode. I think the first episode I did without 10 pages of notes in front of me, I had no notes. I I, mean, I read some stuff and then I was like, no, we're just going to get into this. And I'm also, uh, for our audience, very high on NyQuil at the moment because I have a pretty bad cold. <laughs> and not only that, you also didn't sleep because me and Andrew opened up for Mike Kaplan last night. Absolutely insane. I've been a, a fan for so long. I, I could not believe that happened. By the way, guys, I did confirm it was a cold, not COVID or anything. Everyone knew I was very safe would not spread this to anybody especially not Mike Kaplan who the world needs more than almost anyone but this was a very fun episode because we had a good friend of yours on who is coming out with a horror short that you've been excited about for months you talked to him you're able to get him on this episode to tell us about this and to cover all of the Halloween movies which I love the episodes where I get to learn stuff I mean I get to learn normally from the research but here is like you guys know this so well there was nothing I could have read if I went to the deepest darkest troves of the of the library like I normally try to do to find research papers I could not know a tenth of what you guys <laughs> learned from your history of doing this forever. So we had uh, Joseph William Gregory on, who is a uh, Chicago horror writer. He is currently working on a short right now. I read our early draft of the script. It is fantastic. We're going to let him dive into that a little bit to start. But yeah, in case you didn't know this, I wrote a full term college paper on slasher movies. I'm a fan, in case you weren't aware. And this was so much fun. And this is going to be a long one because we had to cover so many movies. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's go. Joseph William Gregory, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, really exciting. This is uh, kind of like my podcast virginity, so this is great. I love it. That's the creepiest way we can phrase that, which is perfect for this episode. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm so glad <laughs> we could be your first. Yeah, I mean, I might be able to be killed by a slasher now, but it's okay. <laughs> well, that works out perfectly. Joseph, you are currently working on your first horror short, correct? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Me and a couple friends that I... I I went to college with I wrote this and they liked it enough that they're like we're gonna make this so we're in the process of like pre-production we're actually like about to like kick off a fundraiser that I think will actually like be like out by the time that this is airing from what I understand yes yes because we're dropping this on the 19th and the fundraiser goes live on the 18th correct yeah that's right we made this look remarkably well staged yeah we're gonna put that down in the show notes you guys can can look it up it's gonna be fantastic but tell us more about the movie yeah so um the name of the film is is Agora and it's like a psychological horror with some body horror elements and it's about this woman Allegra who after a tragic event has locked herself away from the outside world has become a little agoraphobic and after a friend gives her this mysterious box she begins to be haunted by this uh, pain that she can no longer numb or run away from and something else lurking in the apartment I love this full disclosure I read an early draft for this screenplay and I fucking love 
loved it so much. Yeah, I heard about this from when a couple of months ago, at a point where I'm sure you couldn't tell me anything about it. He's like, guys, you just like you got it. There's going to be a movie coming out. I can't say anything about it, but it's going to be really good. I hope so. I really hope so. I think I think it has the potential to be good. And I think that we're getting some really exciting people on board who are interested in it. And I love horror. Horror has always been my favorite genre. So I'm like really excited that coming out of this weird half world that we're kind of living in with the pandemic that I we're getting to make a horror film because it, it's so fun. Absolutely. Oh, it's got to be amazing. And especially because we had a situation where like we need to book someone for this episode. And then I was like, wait, it's October. You know who would be perfect for this? Yeah. Joseph William <laughs> Gregory, the writer of Agora, what's going to be my future favorite horror movie. Thank you. And I will pay you that $100 uh, when it's <laughs> this week. Oh, it worked out very well. And of course, as you know, uh, our, our audience, when absolutely loves this stuff, I am scared of it, which I feel like is their goal. So it worked for me. But because of that, have seen very little. Also, for our audience, you might have noticed some difference here. This is our first episode that I'm doing one without any notes because these two know this so well. What the hell am I going to bring to this after I Googled it for 10 hours when they've spent their entire lives dedicated to this? And also hopped up on NyQuil because I have a cold. So I am very curious to see how this all plays out, but I'm excited to learn. So what are we talking about today, guys? Well, first off, I just want to say you're going to be so excited when you listen to this episode for the first time later and be like, oh, is that what I acted like? Great. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited to find out. <laughs> it's going to be an adventure for all of us. But today we're getting into the original slasher series, Halloween, which cannot be better for this season. It makes it very clear what's happening right in the title. Is there a holiday at the end of the month called Halloween? That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we are. We are just days away from the big event. We're actually just removed from the newest sequel that came out. We will not be mentioning any plot details or anything from that. We won't be giving our opinion on that because we have haven't seen it because despite what you might think, our podcast does not give us early access to screeners for movies yet. Yet. Which I disagree with. Come on, guys. You know, get on it. We're we're doing good work here. But don't worry, because there's, guess what? There's 11 of these motherfuckers out there. And Joey, you watched all of them this week. You watched all of them this week? <laughs> yeah, I've seen like the first one almost every year since I was allowed to watch horror films. And there are some garbage in there. And I haven't watched those for years. And I was like, well, I guess I need to catch up. So I was like, I'll just watch all 11 of them. And it was a great marathon. I have lots of thoughts about masks and I can't wait to hop in. (laughs) Yes, I have seen all of these movies multiple times. However, I did have to do like a like quick refresh. And I did that by just watching YouTube clips of all the kills. And yes, I have strong opinions on masks now that cannot be shaken. And we are going to get into that. But we are a comedy history podcast. So let's get in a little bit to the history here. So slasher movies, just in general, their origins start with the Giallo. Giallo. See, it's not easy to do that part when you gotta gotta read the stuff that you wrote down. Yeah, this is the hard job. Yeah, read this. Oh, fuck you, Andrew. I've done the reading three other times. So, Giallo horror films uh, are Italian mystery fiction thrillers. Uh, Giallo is actually Italian for the word yellow, and they are kind of seen as like the first uh, inspirations for horror. Am I correct, Joseph? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I came into Giallos much later than like watching like slash films so oh yeah no i'm not saying i started i did not start with old italian movies and then work my way (laughs) into being a nightmare on elm street halloween friday the 13th fan i very much worked my way back to figure out the other end the term derives from like the cheap paperback mystery and crime novels uh, that had like yellow covers that were very popular in italy and in the context of 20th century film and literature especially among english speakers and non-italians in general giallo refers to a very particular italian thriller horror genre that was mystery or detective elements and often contained psychological horror sexploitation which is going to come in in a big way later and less frequently supernatural horror elements so what was like the first movie here the first in this genre the first slasher, okay, that is an area of debate. Personally, I would say like the first proto-slasher. I would not say it's the first actual slasher. I would say 1960s Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Joey, what do you say? I feel like the like the slasher of like killing multiple people, often college co-eds or college females would tend to be like Black Christmas. It's also like one of the first ones that like pretty much shoots most of the film through like the killer's eyes. Which is like a big giallo thing, correct? Yeah, big giallo things like 
Jalice didn't have like the killer always for some reason had like black gloves and you'd always see like the black gloves open at least in Dario Argento's stuff. Yeah, which is also something that's going to come into play when we talk about our main movie of the day. But yeah, Black Christmas, I watched for the first time actually over the pandemic and I fucking loved it so I know you're disappointed in me. Oh, I'm I'm not disappointed. I don't like Black Christmas that much. You don't like Black Christmas? I think it's very mean. It's a very mean movie. It is a mean movie. It is a very mean movie, but it has just enough cheesiness that I'm able to uh, separate myself from how mean it is. But that ending is a huge bummer. Spoilers for a movie that came out in the 60s. But just like killing the co-ed and just like propping her up on the window while they're just like playing Christmas carols and the camera zooms out. Super bummer. This is something you were explaining to me too, though, about if you hear a horror movie described as mean, I would have thought, well, like, yeah, it's a horror movie with a killer. But you'd pointed out that that's not typically the goal of most of these horror movies where there's enough in it that's either silly or whimsical that it doesn't come off as mean somehow despite the brutal murders. Is that correct? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, like, yes, there's gore and there's a lot of, like, yes, there's killing and there's scary, intense stuff that happens. But I feel like sometimes, like, if we get to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, the spirit of it is just, like, hateful almost, I would say. Where, like, I feel like Halloween, as we get into it, is like an exploration of evil and other movies are just like, we're going to make you feel sick. And I'm, as a horror fan, that's not my fave. Yes. So in theater, there's this writer called Brecht and his style is now referred to as Brechtian, where there is like enough separation between the actors and the material where it's just like, hey guys, this is a show. We're putting on a fun little show for you. So you're going to see some things up here, but just know we're just doing pretend and it's a lot of fun. And that's how (laughs) I feel like a lot of like slashers can be, where it's just enough, like the acting is just bad enough or the writing is just bad enough or like the, the camera work is just bad enough. Like there's something just off enough where you kind of know like, oh, these are all stereotypes. They're not actually people. And like, we're safe here to kind of enjoy them getting their comeuppance. But you're right. If the formula is wrong, if it's just me, then it kind of becomes unpleasant. Like you're not rooting for like the fun of a horror movie. You're just sitting there being like, fuck, man. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> it's just bad stuff happening to everybody. I was I was hoping to escape for two hours and now I have to deal with, with the traumatic events that these fictional characters are going through, which I think because it is such a traumatic experience in the movies, if you're taking it at face value, is a horrible thing to witness. If they don't have that level of separation, then, you know, watching these people go through this and feeling it with them is awful. It's just a terrible experience. It can be. Some people love it. Some people love mean horror movies. I am not a fan of, I think, Joey, or Joseph, I think what you said of a movie being hateful. I mean, it's okay to call me Joe. We got a okay. professional name. Yeah. It's great. We're, we're friends. You know who I am. It's understandable. It's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I think the word of hateful is absolutely right. There is like no sense of fun in it. It is just like, fuck you. And it's like the director and writer just saying that to the audience. And then I'm just like, I'm not with this guy. Right. I've shown horror <laughs> movies to people where I'm just like, oh, I'm very sorry. I, I, did, I do not speak for him. I'm, I'm on your side, not, not this guy's <laughs> side. But yeah, so Black Christmas, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, A Texas Chainsaw Massacre. These were all considered the first kind of free slasher movies and they invented the trope so it'd come up a lot later including with Texas Chainsaw Massacre the final girl trope which I think is used spectacularly in Halloween and several other movies and then uh, kind of becomes something else later on which we'll get into but let's get into the main one so in the 70s a producer named Erwin Yablin and a financer named Mustafa Akkad approached the director John Carpenter because they wanted to create a movie that would rival The Exorcist and Yablin came up to Carpenter and he said, I want you to make a movie about a killer that hunts and kills babysitters. The end. That is a really both strange and specific mandate <laughs> to like go to someone like, this is the movie I want you to make. Just kill some babysitters. So much so that I think it's like the original title is the babysitter murders or killer. Yes, it was originally titled The Babysitter Murders. Uh, John Carpenter wrote the script in like 10 days, presented it to Yablin, and Yablin was just like, okay, well, what if we set it on Halloween and we called the movie Halloween? And Carpenter was just like, fine. And he left <laughs> and he like he worked on it with three weeks uh, with his then girlfriend at the time, Deborah Hill. And pretty much they separated the work out of, Deborah, you write the babysitter characters. I will write the kills and the big lies long speeches that are going to happen in this movie. They divided and conquered and they ended up making the first Halloween. It took them three weeks to make the rewrites and they based it on uh, Sam 
Samhain kind of folklore, stories of them Deborah babysitting when she was a kid, and just kind of wrapped it all up into what is going to end up being one of the best horror movies of all time. It's interesting because in a, a genre too, or in an industry where women are so often written poorly and as incomplete characters, and especially in horror where they're, they're so often portrayed as just like these sex objects to be killed, the idea of like, no, let's have a woman come in and write these characters realistically was just a great call. And it was going to help give voice to a, a, someone that an aspect of horror that is often, I think, not covered that well. I think Deborah Hill deserves so much credit about like what makes Halloween work, especially when it comes to like how you feel about Laurie Strode, how you feel about her friends who are just trying to have like a really great Halloween. And especially when you get into some of the later ones, as we get into those about like so clearly like they have no personality anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's it definitely helps to have a woman writer come in and be like, I'll handle this. You handled the boy stuff. Right. You know, not boy stuff, <laughs> but like you handle the brutal killers and the, the pretentious doctor. I'll write babysitters because I actually know how people speak to each other. Right. This is the Halloween that I've actually seen, by the way. I, I have not seen the other 10 <laughs> Halloween movies, but the first one I saw and enjoyed as much as, you know, someone like me is capable of enjoying these where I afterwards like, oh, that was good. And it didn't give me nightmares, which was also a big thing for me. <laughs> so my experience was clearly very different than both of yours, but I actually enjoyed and appreciated this movie. Well, that's because it's a fantastic film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, John Carpenter knows what he's doing with the camera and knows how to like create tension visually in a way that some of the wide shots in this and the use of like shadows and how he how Michael Myers lingers is what makes that film work so much. Well, I think it works incredibly well. A quick synopsis. And we're not going to sum up every movie for you guys, because that'll take away some of the fun of watching them. This should be like a four hour podcast of <laughs> when breaking down 11 different Halloween movies. And a lot of people just being like, a lot of these movies sound very similar to the other movies, except for one, which we'll get into. <laughs> but basic plot is as a child, Michael Myers murders his sister and is committed to an insane asylum. He is cared for by Dr. Loomis who gives him the diagnosis of evil. Which, like, super unprofessional, by the way, guys. Like, you can't just, like, call him evil and job's done. That's not the in the DCM4. The Halloween movies, after watching 11 of them, I am pretty convinced that no one has an idea of what a doctor does. <laughs> like, Dr. Loomis is more than, I feel like, less of a doctor and much more of, like, a card-carrying NRA member who is an advocate for vigilante justice. Yeah. <laughs> Because he just, that's him in every movie. Every movie, he has a gun that he's shooting at Michael Myers at. His patient, by the way. His patient. Guys, doctors aren't supposed to do that at all. No. It's weird because they, they specify asylum too, which, and there was a, a large period in history where this is basically what, less guns. But like, if you were the doctor at the asylum, you were not a good person. You weren't out there to help people. <laughs> <laughs> you you were there to keep him up and probably run some of your off-book experiments. Like, it was a messed up place for most of history. I guess probably up there, this was, was supposed to, he was supposed to be locked up, like, in the 60s, right? 60s through 70s, yeah. 17 years, if we're being precise. And of course we are on this podcast. This was about the time when they started being like, hey, maybe this shouldn't be just a place where we torture crazy people. <laughs> maybe we should be here to help them. So this was an extreme, but honestly, wasn't that far. Well, no, he was shooting people. It was very far off from, from the real asylums but the idea of like Dr. Asylum evil wasn't the most unrealistic take even though this was crazy levels like literally Dr. Loomis in the movie is like I spent several years trying to get through to him and then I just spent the remaining years trying to make sure he never saw the light of day like that's not your job yeah you're not a good doctor you really <laughs> changed positions really like you were just like trying to get through to him trying to get oh it's not working I guess he's evil and here here's a gun I'm gonna call the police and we're just gonna like just shoot at this guy. No questions asked. If it looks like him, we're gonna kill him. Didn't he even say that during that time he never spoke to? No, for 15 years, Michael Myers just sat in a room, just staring at a wall waiting patiently. How do you decide he's evil if he's not responding to a single one of your questions all of this time? It's all in the eyes. <laughs> the devil's <laughs> eyes, yeah. This is a bad doctor. Like, he's not the same kind of villain as Myers, but, like, he's he's a bad guy in his own way here, yeah. <laughs> he's a psychopath. It gets worse as we go on. He didn't even, like, call it a consultation.
we'll get into other movies. The first one, he's kind of like the Ahab and Michael Myers is his Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> and like, sure, we'll go along with it because like you just invented a brand new version of a movie. We'll let you like slide on the ethics of Dr. Loomis just shooting indiscriminately in Michael Myers' direction whenever he gets a chance. <laughs> the same way that Ahab was air quotes hero. Like he was a dick too. The, this was, I think this probably a pretty good comparison. Yeah, this was very white whale-ish. I mean, it opens with basically Dr. Loomis after the scene where we follow Michael and he kills his sister. It like opens with Dr. Loomis mansplaining evil to this nurse. And like mansplaining it like it's science too, rather than just like his rando opinion. <laughs> it's incredible. Anyways, Michael escapes, steals a car. He manages to drive that car, even though he's been in an asylum since he was nine, <laughs> and then makes his way, steals a mask, which gotta say, the first mask, best mask. It is a William Shatner mask, spray painted white, and it is fantastic. <laughs> How much are they updated in the other movies? <sighs> oh, We'll get into the other mass, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm skipping ahead. Okay. We're talking about what we love right now, and I will talk about every other mask at length in a little bit. Okay, here we go. But Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie Strode. She is the original Scream Queen. Uh, she's getting stalked by Michael. He takes out her friends one by one. She is, of course, the final girl. And in this movie, I say this with complete love. I think the first Halloween set up a bunch of tropes that became gross later on when handled by less competent people. Michael Myers is pure evil. Laurie Strode is good and she's presented as good. She still smokes a little pot. She's still interested in boys. She's not like the complete virginal, like I'm not going to do anything inappropriate ever. She wants to be hanging out with her friends, but she doesn't engage as much in like the sin, the factor that her friends do. So she's good. Michael is pure evil. And when faced with each other, Laurie is going to win even barely, but she's going to win. That is like the ethics of the first Halloween. What do you think, Joey? Do you agree with that oh yeah 100 i would like to like talk a little bit about like that like final girl trope and like how it got worse after halloween because like there's nothing wrong with like having a movie and having like your female characters be like i want this boy to come over and i want to have a good time where i feel like the ones that really like hit it where it's like oh you have sex you're bad is friday the 13th because basically all that happened was sean s cunningham who made the first friday the 13th saw halloween and he's like a former like adult film director or producer he was like oh I can do that. I can make it just like that. Everyone who has sex dies. Understood. Yeah. And that started this whole problem that we get parodied and scream. And I think that's interesting where the, the way that they do have this very puritanical setup of what is good and evil in so many of these horror movies, like obviously in, in this one where it starts when he's you know still the kid, his sister going upstairs with her boyfriend, he comes in on her when she's topless and murders her, like nudity very early on in this movie. And I, I think you're, you're right that this, the part that was taken from this is like, oh, it's, it's the classic classic what we're calling sin in these very straight puritanical views of what's good and evil rather than like no there's a good person here which Lori was and because she's an actual person she has depth and layers and it doesn't mean she's going to be entirely without flaws or without what some people are going to consider sin she's just a good person she's a good person that shouldn't be killed and I think that gets twisted a lot to like no if you do anything that someone in the audience might disagree with you're the bad person that might be killed 100%. yeah definitely agree and this movie is fantastic it ends with this beautiful like thing of you think Michael's dead. She stabs him in the eye. She's hiding in the closet, stabs him in the eye. He goes to the ground. He does this great moment where he just sits bolt right with her back to him. That, that threw me so bad when I first watched the movie. Oh, my my favorite moment of that movie is when she goes to the house that Annie is babysitting. Annie is her friend who was babysitting right across the street. And she goes into the house looking for Annie and her friend, who I don't remember her name. I just refer to her as the person who says totally all the time. <laughs> and she goes upstairs. She sees Annie with the Judith Myers tombstone and freaks out, turns around, totally girl's boyfriend falls in. I think his name is Bob and falls in and she gets scared. And she's totally girl like in like a closet. And it's just like all this, like, like Michael Myers is getting his trick in before his treat. And then she walks out into the hallway terrified. And in the shadow, you see slowly come into focus Michael Myers masks and then he stabs her. And that freaked me the fuck out when I was a kid. <laughs> it's so good. And it also shows what kind of drop off later of Michael's having a good time. He is a child. He is literally like arrested. Like he was a committed when he was nine and he still somewhat has a nine year old's like sense of play about this really fucked up thing he's doing. There's a scene where he stabs a guy into a wall 
like to the point where he's pinned him up on the wall, which is not how butcher knives into a chest would work, but we'll look past it because it's a great moment. <laughs> it's scientifically proven that it will. Oh, we proved this with science? Yeah, it was on, I think it was Mythbusters, right? Oh, well, then fuck me then. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm, no, 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 they didn't. <laughs> they had to kill a guy to get it done, but they were really thorough on this one. <laughs> They're so good. Those guys are fantastic. We're big fans. But it stabs him into the wall and just has this moment where like he's just like tilting his head, just like, huh, what a strange thing I did. And like, it's just a, such a great moment. But the way the movie ends is Donald Pleasance unloads six shots into his patient because he's a bad doctor. Donald, I said the actor's name, Donald Pleasance. He's great, but he's a bad doc. He plays a bad doctor. He unloads six shots into his patient. Michael dramatically falls over the balcony. And you're just like, it's over. And then they look over the edge, fucking gone. And just has this thing of like shots and breathing around town. And literally when I saw this movie when I was a kid, I was like, what if the shot shows my house? Yeah. Like, like that was the thing I couldn't get out of my head. Cause it ends on like him showing his own house at the very end. But I'm like, what if it was my house? And like, I couldn't get that thought on my head and it kept me up for like five hours thinking about it. What was so interesting about that too, was that like, it's understood now if you happen to make a really good horror movie, it's going to become a franchise. You're going to have 10 or 11 movies like Halloween does. But this was the first one. The idea that they saw the potential of like, no, we, there, there shouldn't be an ending to this. Not necessarily because there are going to be so many more, but because we want to leave that creepy, ethereal hangingness of this is unfinished was very cool. That's how they wanted it to end without anything solid for the audience. So Halloween went and it grossed $70 million worldwide, became one of the most successful independent films of all time, which means Mustafa Akkad, who was the financer, was just like, we're going to make another one of these motherfuckers. Yeah. Fun fact about that. So we're the, the, the another one of these motherfuckers is Erwin Yablin, the original producer of Halloween, really was like the forerunner producer of that. And Mustafa Akkad was like, saw the movie and was like, I want that money. I, <laughs> I want that prestige because I think this movie is good. And so his name gets put on. Erwin Yablin says it's like the worst thing that ever happened in his life. And part of the reason that Halloween 2 gets made is because John Carpenter and Deborah Hill go to make The Fog, which is a great movie. Go check it out. But Erwin Yablin thought that they were supposed to make, they were supposed to make The Fog with him. So after that, kind of Erwin Yoblin is kind of like, hey, you were supposed to make that movie with me. I'm not going to sue you, but if you make Halloween 2, we're all good. And then Mustafa Kod takes over from there. That's really interesting because I, I did read like the original treatment and John Carpenter was going to set it like three years later and it was going to be a high rise building where Michael was going to make his way up all the way to Lori. Like he was going to stalk Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori Strode and make his way all the way up an apartment building. And then he just scrapped it and said nope same night and so Halloween 2 takes place like an hour or two after Halloween like it's literally like Lori's taken to the hospital and Michael just goes I gotta get to that hospital and kill this girl another like fun fact about like the writing of that is that unlike Halloween which took 10 days from the right the myth is he didn't want to write it so bad that he had to buy a six pack of beer and he wrote it all in one night <laughs> <laughs> just getting it done as fast as you can. Just drinking beer, getting it done. Give me my money. Because he promised to turn in a script and he did. And you know what? I wrote a lot of good term papers that way in college. Look, we've all been there. Uh, it's strange for it to get made into a movie that way, but we've all done it. And here's the thing. Halloween 2, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. I like it. It's got the iconic, I shot him in the heart. I shot him six times. So I'm sh six times in the heart and he didn't die. That is like iconic line that everyone quotes when they bring up Halloween too. It's fantastic. It reveals that in the second one that Lori is actually Michael's sister and he's going after his family. Like he's trying to kill just all his sisters for some reason. It's not explained, but that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> they do eventually start to explain the reason for his family killings in like four or five movies later, right? We'll get into what that. that? <laughs> okay. Yeah, Halloween 2, I, I really like. It wasn't directed by John Carpenter, though. It was directed by this man named Rick Rosenthal, who will later, I will share with you my conspiracy theory about the movie Halloween Resurrection. Okay. Because he <laughs> comes back into this. So he makes it, and John Carpenter does do a lot of reshoots with it because he wanted it to be a little bit more gorier because at this point there had already been like the Friday the 13th and like slashers were picking up so he wanted to like he was worried that people wouldn't like it as much if it was that like similar 
similar amount of like not very violent and very like suspense heavy. Right, because Halloween is a very bloodless movie, like famously so. The first Halloween. Yeah, I watched it. And I was like, I don't know why my parents didn't let me watch this when I was a kid. And then I was like, oh, nudity. Yeah. <laughs> but Halloween 2 is very gory. And it, it, it has like a little bit of that that mean streak in it. That hot tub kill in it is brutal. Yeah, that hot tub kill is brutal. Uh, there's also like a scene and it also has one of my favorite moments that I laugh at is that there's this nice EMT who is like Laurie Strode's like romantic interest in this movie. And he's like lurking for everyone in the hospital because for some reason in Haddonfield and in horror films, there is never anyone at night in a hospital. Yeah, that's a weird trope. Like there are still sick people there and there are people that need to keep them alive. <laughs> that's a weird trope. It's like, no, everyone just checks out. Nobody gets sick at night anymore. It's when all the drunk people come in. Yeah. And especially on <laughs> Halloween night. I know friends who like work in ER places or ER emergency rooms they're not playing we know what they are <laughs> and they hate halloween because there's always a bunch of drunk accidents who come in oh yeah it's, it's not a good night to be a doctor nor is it a good night to be a doctor in any halloween movie <laughs> right yeah emt is like going down the stairs to the basement where there are two doors major surgery and minor surgery he doesn't have the will to go into the major surgery one so he opens the minor surgery and there is just a nurse who has like an iv in and it's just like dripping draining her of all her blood and he like freaks out and then he like slips and does like a banana peel and gets not unconscious which kills him later on for some reason <laughs> just a beautiful <laughs> film really i i like halloween too it, it doesn't hold a candle to halloween one but it's still like you could tell carpenter has his hands on it but you can also tell carpenter does not want to make any more michael myers movies because he sets him on fire and also sets dr loomis on fire he's just like there the movie is done. The story <laughs> has been told. He is completely engulfed in flames. And it's not implied. You see him. You see Michael completely on fire from head to toe, just walking down the hallway before succumbing to death. I think like for most of the credits, no, for like, it's like a good two minute, like a minute and a half shot of just like Laurie being like, oh no. And then Michael Myers mask melting in fire. It's definitive. That feels like, it, by the way, for our audience, this is the moment when my NyQuil just really kicked in. So we're going to see what happens for the rest of this episode. But yeah, that feels like they're trying to be conclusive here. Like, all right, guys, can't do another one because he is super. Remember last time we showed you he wasn't dead. Now we're showing you he is dead. That means there can't be another one. And that is not true because spoiler alert, there is like nine more of these yeah. things. <laughs> However, they stuck with it for one movie, one movie, which is where I would say it went wrong. But Joey says that I cannot say that because he likes the pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely but when it comes to a great shave you don't have to shell out tons of cash harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced underperforming products and decided to do something better they found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands so you never wonder if you overpaid Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great, too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. This film. I will defend this movie. You can say this is where it went wrong. I fucking love Halloween 3. Is it objectively good? No. <laughs> Does it try to make this 40-year-old man a little bit of a sex icon? Yeah. <laughs> Is the Silver Shamrock song the one of the most annoying things you've ever heard? 100%. But what this movie does that I really love, it's also just like, is bonkers fun. Like, this movie has androids. This movie has masks when that commercial <laughs> plays will dissolve children's heads and snakes and spiders and cockroaches just start coming out of the... 
masks because they all the masks that everyone in America buys for this Halloween <laughs> is the same company of masks. That have pieces of Stonehenge in them. Do not forget that important piece of information that all the masks have little pieces of Stonehenge in them. <laughs> this recap feels like Stefan on Weekend Update. This movie has everything. <laughs> masks, cockroaches, little pieces of Stonehenge, everything. <laughs> Michael Myers, nowhere to be found. <laughs> nowhere to be found, but it like it stuck with its principles. It it was like we're done with Michael Myers. There's really not much that we can tell with this story, which turns out to be true. And there's it has I think it has like one of the best Halloween scores too, though. Like one of the things that we should like talk about that works really well for these first three movies and totally is that John Carpenter scores so good i mean they're iconic you hear the halloween theme you know exactly what's going on it's up there with just da of, of jaws of just like it's just so simple and yet it gets your heart going the second you just hear that piano going for the halloween score yeah they really did amazing written in like five four time which is like not a standard like time signature that people usually write music in i think one of the only like themes that i can think of that has that is the mission possible theme and like those you hear them you know exactly what they are and i think that's part of what, like the brilliance of those scores yeah because also the mission impossible score also has that thing where you're just like yes i'm gonna see a fucking movie right yeah. now so it makes sense that halloween just has that oh this is very weird and my heart's going really fast and i don't know why it's going fast i always wonder with that how much of that association is because the movie was so good while the score was good that we have that instant association or would it hold up so much you still have that association if the score is good and the movie's bad i feel like that's hard because i feel like a good movie score especially a good horror film score and the movie are in a relationship with each other. And there are definitely like some scores and that kind of nothing the scores post these three. So I feel like those films work really well together because of that score. And it's like John Carpenter writes that score. So therefore it like it hits where it needs to hit because it's like in his head. Yeah, I don't know he wrote that too. But yeah, that's and it makes perfect sense that he did because it absolutely captures the moments uh, so well and it carries you through them. I mean, John Carpenter, all he does now, Andrew, is go across the country playing his themes for crowds of people. That's incredible. That's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> and play video games. And play video games. He does love playing video games. What an amazing job. He's earned it. He's He yeah. made Halloween and The Thing. Yeah, yeah, he can do whatever the fuck he wants for the rest <laughs> of his life. Just those two movies, you do not have to work another day. And yet the man still did. So Halloween 3 was his attempt to be like, let's make this an anthology series where every year it's a new Halloween and like a new concept is introduced. And Halloween 3 comes out and people are like, fuck that movie. And immediately Mustafa Akkad is like, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Let's give the people what they want. And so he brings back where I say it went wrong, which is the Thorn trilogy of Halloween. Based on Joey's face here, I'm, I'm guessing you assume this is that you agree. This is where it went wrong. Oh, no, I 100 percent agree that this is where it went wrong. I watched these three yesterday because these are the three. I was like, I don't want to watch them. I know how bad they are. There is a reason why I have seen the first three more often than these. So tell us about the <laughs> these three movies. So the first two focus on Laurie Strode's daughter, Jamie, who, for some reason, has a psychic link to Michael Myers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just getting excited about shitting on these <laughs> movies. Yeah, she starts having, like, dreams about him. She's never, she has no idea who the fuck Michael Myers is. She just has, like, dreams about him. And the first thing you see is, like, when she has one of these dreams is where I think a lot of these Halloween movies lets you know that these movies are not good is by the masks. From now until maybe Rob Zombie, the masks get worse and worse. Like this one, it doesn't look like the William Shatner mask at all. It's like a brand new one, which I don't understand how they can get this wrong because it has to be the cheapest costume ever. And also they make these masks now. That's you true. can just buy a Michael Myers mask at this point of time in history, like in real life. And it looks better than all of these movies. My friend Michael literally sent me a TikTok video of someone dancing in a Michael Myers mask. And I was like, this is better than all of the movies that I that we watched together last night. The fourth one is so so clean the eyebrows are kind of drawn a little angry which is a silly thing to have like it's a mask being worn by a killer 
Like you don't have to be like, and now he's mad. Uh, like now he means business. I'm looking at a timeline of these masks and oh, this is, yeah. And you're right. Cause that 78 one is very basic. Like the idea of like, yeah, look, he just escaped from asylum. He's going to go find the cheap mask that he can get quickly. That, that he's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to spend a, a few days while they're trying to catch me getting my perfect mask. Got to start killing people. And then, yeah, here we are on four and it looks a lot like data on Star Trek. Is that fair? <laughs> Yes, Data is a perfect, perfect example of what the mask in Halloween 4 looks like. Yeah, <laughs> and 5 is, is great because it's the same thing, except like he looks like he just had a bad eyebrow job done and he's upset about it, but you can't know if he's actually upset or just because of the eyebrows. <laughs> and he's got an even more receding hairline this time. Yeah. Also in the fifth one, for some fucking reason, they decide that like every other one, the mask gets like tucked into the jumpsuit. This one is just like, we don't care. He just puts it on. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's just flapping around in the breeze the entire <laughs> movie. It's so distracting because in the first movie, that mask works because it is a blank, regular face that you could project anything on. Uh, you could project what, whatever you want to see on it. That's what you can see. When you make the eyebrows angry on the mask, like in four, like it's just like, it's it's not the same thing. It's in like, if you keep it tucked out of the jumper, like in five, you can't project anything on there. It's just like, oh, that's an angry face. And that is definitely just like a mask. And I think you're right too about the fact that it was such a blank slate. It was this this chance early on to project your own nightmares into it. It's what are you going to see here? And now it's like, no, what you're seeing is this guy. It's this guy in the mask. That's who it is. And that was such a weird shift to be like, I, I get it. At this point, it's become iconic. So you're trying to lean into that, but it just looks so stupid. Yeah, it looks so stupid. Also, like all of a sudden the town in four to like get back to like some of the things that went wrong before as we continue on with these is like the heroes of this film is like a redneck militia. Yes. They <laughs> look like they could have fit in really well on January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones who are like, I feel like it ends with him. Four, five, and six was a blur. He gets hit by a car. He gets shot like a bunch of times by these militia members. And then he gets thrown into a mine. And I think a grenade gets thrown in and <laughs> blows up. And you're like, oh, he's dead. And the one good idea this movie had after Michael is dead, Jamie Lloyd, Laurie Strode's daughter, touches his hand. And there's like this transference of power that ends with this scene where she's like, and they kind of hint at it in the film because she's like dressed in a clown costume, very similar to what young Michael was wearing. And she goes upstairs and you see the mask go on and has like the eyes. You're watching through the eyes again. She stabs her adopted mother and comes downstairs covered in blood. And one of the best things I've ever seen Loomis done is he just like screams in horror. It's like, no, no, no. And it sets up like a really cool idea of like maybe this uh she is now like the essence of evil but do they do anything with that no because in five they're just like oh this little girl's now in the hospital and she's now mute like they were just like yeah, yeah she might have killed somebody but now she doesn't speak like michael does <laughs> uh no no she didn't even in the like in the fourth one it's heavily implied that she killed her adopted mom and this one like loomis just like throws away a table and it's just like you have to let me know where he is because he made you stab your mother like once yeah <laughs> and she's covered in blood and that's where like i feel like everyone gets like pissed about where this is going because at least for some people are like i like this ending five is so bad because there is like there is a in the fourth one one of the main characters was rachel who was like jamie lloyd's adopted sister and she was a decent like some might say like they're her second favorite halloween final girl and she lasts about six minutes in this movie and we follow most of the movie with this very annoying very like overly hammy acted person named tina who is like rachel's best friend who we have seen in one scene in four and is now like the lead for the rest of this movie you have to give it to that actress though because you know like she was like in one scene in four and then they're like hey we want you to come back as the lead in the <laughs> next one like that had to have been such a great moment for her until she she stepped on set and performed <laughs> just a terrible performance. Oh man. I had to pause five and walk away from it for a minute when, cause I was like, Oh, we got to the scene that I did not want to watch, which is this barn scene. It is 12 minutes long and it has some of the worst false scares I've ever seen. Like, you know, the community scene where the cat is like jumping around in the zombie episode where he's like, we got to do something about this cat. Yes. Well, Tina goes into this barn with her two friends. One who is fake dressed up as Michael Myers, who plays like a crank on the, on these, like two like really dumb cops and they go into this barn and there's just like cats quick side note on this in the world of this movie michael myers was a guy that was alive and killed a friend of theirs recently like very recently like what a 
fucked up prank that this guy is doing that like he's actively dressing up like the guy that killed his at least his friend's friend and also a bunch of other people and it's just like this is going to be funny this yeah. is going to be a silly <laughs> thing that people are going to appreciate yeah no it's like they even like make the the person like does like a weird like scream laugh type thing and it's 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 just fucking obnoxious it's just really obnoxious and all of a sudden cats start jumping out and Tina starts like chasing these cats and you think with that like first like false scare of like oh this guy plays a prank as Michael Myers that'd be the end of it no it happens four fucking more times like every time you're like oh there's Michael he throws a bale of hay it's that guy removing his mask going <laughs> putting it back on and then three minutes later into this 12 minute long scene does it again and again and all these movies four five and six they have no idea what to do with the tension at all no none in this one they try to introduce like oh Michael has a mysterious tattoo on his wrist which doesn't come until the end no and then there's just like an, a mysterious man in black who's like going around like they're trying to set up some kind of like weird setup for another movie which means five has no reason to exist at all it's just a setup for another film yeah it's just a trailer. And also, I mean, I will give it the credit that for once they didn't be like, oh, we killed Michael Myers. He's not really dead. They actually, I think it ends with like, Lo it ends with Loomis like holding Jamie Lloyd, using her as bait. Jamie Lloyd has no idea what's going on. Which is also not something a doctor should do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if we've established that Dr. Loomis is a fucking psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he spends most of this movie like grabbing this little girl and being like, because she has a psychic connection with Michael. Just be like, where is he? <laughs> <laughs> Where is he? It's just like, you can't talk to her like this. She is a mute child that's been traumatized by murders. Right. Also, I'm not sure you get how psychics work. This isn't like yelling at it. it doesn't do anything. In this movie, the first line of dialogue that she has, is her like trying to like force out this description is to, so that she can save Tina. And it's describing this gas station that has like a pinup girl in the next to the pinup girl's giant cookies. So she's trying to describe in like broken language, like Tina, giant cookies. And they're like, do you know where that is? And they're like, gas station on 4th Street, we gotta go. <laughs> How well do you know gas stations, man? That is not something that should be on the top of your head. Small town. Have yeah. really small. With a hospital, a farm. <laughs> and the gas station everyone hangs out at. And apparently two houses that anyone's ever able to hang out at. Because let's go to six real quick. Because a big plot point in the six is that another branch of the Strode family, Laurie Strode's extended family from the original, moves into Michael's old house. Which, what kind of fucking decision would would that be to be like, hey, you know how there's a killer that escaped that kills members of our family? Let's move into his home. And is this where they established the whole cult of thorn thing? Yes. Right. Also, Paul Rudd is in this movie introduced as Paul Stephen Rudd. And he does every line reading like he is Hannibal Lecter in uh, Silence of the Lambs. He's incredibly bad in this. He's incredibly bad in this. <laughs> Everything is like, it's going to happen again. Michael's going to come back. Dr. Loomis, it's happening. Which feels like if Paul Rudd was doing it now as a bit would be incredible no we were we were like this this feels like watching paul rudd do a comedy yeah it kind of sounds like him doing his john lennon from walk hard just a little bit <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty that's pretty accurate that's amazing yeah but it's just like they established that like no michael is not the embodiment of pure evil it turns out that his babysitter cursed him through this cult to murder his entire family so that the members of this cult can have long and successful lives and that is the whole point of the cult of the thorn they curse a child to be a vessel that kills their family. And so Michael could have been done night one. Michael could have just finished this up night one if he just got to kill a few more people. <laughs> the only reason is because he saw his blood relatives out there that he just has to fucking murder. And like the Strohs aren't even like the blood relatives. So Jamie Lloyd is in this film, not played by the same actress. It's like supposed to be like five years later and she was like 10 and five. So she's 15 having a baby. And this baby <laughs> is what Michael is like in this culture like going after and so Jamie Lloyd gets killed brutally by like some like piece of farm equipment that has like those rotators yeah it was the 90s and it was one of the meanest kills I've ever seen Oof. especially for a beloved character yeah so it's just like Michael's like walking around looking for this baby who is also across the street from his house because Tommy Doyle still lives across the street from the Myers house and it is has found this baby in a bus stops like cabinets where towels go yes. that no one saw 
saw as this business day went on. No one heard this baby cry until Paul Rudd showed up. Everyone was washing their hands just like, not my business. It's not my business. Don't get involved. Don't get involved, Rick. You, you always get involved and you always get stuck with the baby. You're, you're not doing it this time. This town is so insane. Also, like nobody leaves this town, apparently. This would be like a great time to maybe just go like check out New York for a while. Maybe you can do something there. Go fulfill your Broadway dreams yeah. or something. Why are you still in Haddonfield? There's one gas station and serves big cookies and I'm sure they're not that great. <laughs> I mean, they still keep getting more and more like additions to the town as the movies go on though. Like this time we got a bus stop. <laughs> so I mean like it's the town and the population is growing. Also Halloween is banned in Haddonfield at this time and they're not allowed to celebrate it. I love the idea like, oh, that's going to stop the killer. If nobody's celebrating Halloween, he's not going to want to murder people anymore. It feels really like the laws in Footloose where they're like, okay, but guys, if we outlaw dancing, no more sex like the killer is not like <laughs> because of trick-or-treating i'm allowed to murder it's like when an architect is just like okay we're going to have the elevator buttons go 10 11 12 14 yeah. so that way <laughs> right. there won't be an unlucky floor it's like no it's still there it's right. not calling it that anymore <laughs> like october 31st is objectively halloween you can't say like if you don't put up the skeleton the killer's not going to show up like he shows up it didn't stop him i feel like yeah how do you try this more than one year like the first year it doesn't work i feel like oh, okay we should probably come up with a different plan that maybe involves stopping the murderer rather <laughs> than, than like banning tacky law on ornaments. Don't worry. Like someone heard our thoughts on this podcast and was like, you know what? We're going to have a character as a protest to bring back Halloween. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> Dealing with the most important issues. <laughs> yeah, it was very important issues were being held in Haddonfield. There was protest. They brought in a local shock jockey. Yeah, everyone listens to this one radio station where this guy just talks about Michael Myers the entire time and everyone in town just can't get enough of it. You got Dr. Loomis over here listening. You got Tommy Doyle. Everyone's calling in with their little theories and whatnot. It's like the only thing that unites the town and yet Michael goes and murders him for reasons I'm not sure of. I don't even know how we got there. I mean, <laughs> to be fair, we are banking on this same logic for this podcast episode being successful. <laughs> like, I, I get the impulse. But the sixth one actually made money <laughs> it made money it was like one of the highest grossing made money did i mean four and five lost money and they kept going anywhere i mean they made a profit five wasn't as successful but six was like they really 90s did up okay yeah, like the kills in it like were reshot to be gorier and more extreme right because uh, it was the 90s yeah there's this abusive father in it who like gets electrocuted to the point that his head explodes there's that one then meanwhile this protest is going on michael Myers like gets there in like five minutes and cuts this shock jockey's throat because he's also been listening to this radio program and does not like what the shock jockey has to say about him. <laughs> I love the idea that he's taking this completely personally, like, no, if it wasn't for this shock jock, all these people would be on my side. <laughs> They'd be supporting the murder if it wasn't for this one guy. I'm keeping this town affluent by doing these murders because right. <laughs> everyone's apparently part of the cult. Yeah. They try to, like, introduce, like, the man in black from the fifth movie. They're just like, remember that one doctor from one scene in the first Halloween? Well, it was him. Like, it's supposed to be some kind of big twist. And it's like, yeah, I guess I remember that guy. Maybe. See the one who gave him driving lessons yeah that's you know what now we can explain how he drove that they, they did this entire sequel trilogy just for that the movie is bad and it got to the point where they're like okay well let's try this again and they ignored all the movies to make h2o a continuation of number three and you know what i'm not gonna dive too much into this one I like it. I love this movie. I feel like I will save this to talk about it in later. We'll get into that in their defense. So then we get Halloween Resurrection, which is a sequel to H2O. So now the timeline has gone from Halloween 1, Halloween 2, 4, 5, 6, to now it's Halloween 1, Halloween 2, Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection. This timeline will get even weirder as we go on. But Halloween Resurrection was not a Halloween movie. They just found a movie where somebody had submitted about a slasher film with webcams and and Mustafa Akkad was like, this will be the next Halloween film. And this was about the time period where webcams were like the big thing. 2002. Yeah. So it's like, it's huge. Webcams. And it was also like in the height of like reality TV. And they're like, we're going to do like a reality TV show and it's going to be great. And we're going to use webcams though. On the internet. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's called Dangertainment, and they're going to set up an entire, like, a bunch of co-eds in Michael's old house and film it and stream it live on the web. This is done after Michael finally kills Laurie Strode. The only way you can describe it is Jamie Lee Curtis says, I will be on set for one day, <laughs> and you have to get me the fuck out of here. Yeah, basically how, so that, how that worked down is, like, Jamie Lee Curtis was, like, so excited to, like, go back and do Halloween H2O, because she was like, it's been 20 years, I want to do this for the fans, it's going to be great, and, like, her goal was, like, I'm going to kill Michael Myers. Spoiler, in H2O, she cuts off Michael Myers' head, and, and us in the audience think it's, like, oh, this is so good. But when they were in production of H2O, Jamie Lee Curtis kept getting these like scenes sent to her and because she was producing it as well, where she would get these scenes that were like saying, and the car crashes and flames go and she thinks it's over. And she was like, no, 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 no. I'm doing this 20 years later so I can kill this fucker. Why isn't he being killed? And after three, Mustafa Akkad put in a clause that Michael Myers can't die. And Jeez. no one told Jamie Lee Curtis until she had already agreed to do this movie and so kevin williamson who wrote it who wrote h2o and wrote scream was like okay what if we make you think that that he died you and the audience think that he's died and she goes fine but if i have to come back for another one i'm fucking dead and that's how it opens which i mean is absolutely fair i'd be furious if i was her to think that she gets to wrap up this series that she's worked on for 20 years and then be told like nope if you want to know how he did it like they like cut back to h2o where like michael is still on his rampage and like he just kills a paramedic crushes his larynx so he can't talk dresses this guy in his clothes and then pushes that guy outside and walks away so then like this guy's just like and if you rewatch h2o knowing this you're like oh this guy's day fucking sucks yeah he doesn't take off the mask he's like going around like wanting help from people and everyone's like hitting him with cars and then cutting his fucking head off and it's just like dude you could have taken off the mask at any point yeah you got your larynx crushed you didn't get your hands taken away from you you could to take it he didn't super glue it at least in the montage i saw but anyways kills laurie strode he goes back to his original house in haddonfield they set up this reality show it's bad some highlights in it if you want to really go hard on it well there's fucking kung fu in it <laughs> yeah buster rhymes who's in it does kung fu he does have a great line in it though which is trick-or-treat motherfucker and kicks michael <laughs> through a window yeah and kicks michael through a window it's the best part about that movie everything else is forgetful i watched it and i was like I don't remember I can't remember anyone's name other than Buster Rhymes and Trick or Treat Motherfucker it was clearly a, a 2000 slasher like trying to cash in on screen that somebody was just like we could put Michael Myers in it and it doesn't work and it's bad so let's go to another bad one before we wrap this thing up and we'll just talk about these two movies at the same time they remake it they decide they're gonna remake the Halloweens and they decide like who's an up and coming horror director that we can get to show his vision and they choose Rob Zombie and Rob Zombie does not like Halloween movies, I don't think. I think he wanted to make a Texas Chainsaw, but they already made that. And Joey said this point to me earlier, and I agree wholeheartedly. These movies are fucking mean as hell. They're just awful. Yeah, they're they're mean. One of the really cool things about, like, I think, like, the first Halloween that works is, like, you don't understand why Michael Myers is doing what he's doing. Rob Zombie goes, you know what I want to do? I want to spend about more than half of my movie talking about why Michael Myers does what he does. Also, like, <laughs> In these movies, Rob Zombie hasn't found a sentence that he can't put the word fuck in. And everyone is either a alcoholic, a stripper, or just like cruel and mean to people. Like there's only like two nice characters. Like you don't care about anyone in these movies. It's so bad. And here's the thing. I liked the theatrical cut of the first Rob Zombie Halloween when it came out because I was 16 and that's what 16 year olds would enjoy. Just a lot of saying fuck and there's killings and I was just like, yeah. And then later I was going to show someone this movie. I actually got the director's cut, which is so much worse because it's so much meaner. It just throws in a full on sexual assault scene that goes on for like gratuitously long. Like in the original, Michael just breaks his handcuffs in the theatrical cut, kills a few doctors and runs away. And the director's cut, he escapes because some people like orderlies bring in a woman to assault her in Michael's room and Michael kills the two guys which they deserve but like after carrying on this scene way too fucking long and then he kills
kills the innocent woman who was being assaulted. And it was so mean that I had to turn to the person I was watching the movie with and apologize for putting on this film and turned it off. That is how fucking mean it is. And then he makes a sequel that was even meaner. That's so horrible. <laughs> one last thing to say about the first one. John Carpenter was like, Deborah, you write, you understand women better than I do. You write these women characters. Rob Zombie was just like, you know what women like to say fuck a lot and be abused and to make themselves only sex objects for which I can enjoy from my director's chair. He does not write women well at all. He might be a lovely person, maybe, from you know all reports. He does not write in a way that would make you think he was a good person. Yeah, and like here's how like the second one basically opens is like A, it opens like with this like really grotesque like surgery scene that Lori's having like go through. And it also like opens with these like two like corners driving Michael Myers and they crash into a cow and then it sits on the cow for like a good second of like just bloody cow and then Michael Myers gets out and slowly chops one of the corners heads off and it just like sits in this like crash. Everything is just held on way longer than it needs to be in this film in general. In the whole film every time he kills somebody it lingers on it like it goes on like several seconds longer than it should and the coroners that die they die after a long conversation conversation about how they wanted to have sex with one of the bodies of the victims from the first movie. Like, That's right. what? That's horrifying. Rob Zombie definitely made his vision in that second one. And the problem is, his vision is bad. Yeah. <laughs> if John Carpenter made a movie where, like, if pure evil is faced with someone who is good, evil will always lose. Rob Zombie says, my protagonist is death, because everyone is just bags of fucking sucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my vision of the world. And they're so diametrically opposed for movies that both focus on a man who kills teenagers. One is somehow a positive and one is so negative that like it came out and everyone hated it and we're fucking done. So that was the first 10 Halloween movies. So let's move on to In Their Defense. Whew, I feel like I needed like a glass of water after just thinking about Rob Zombie for a minute. <laughs> Those Rob Zombie films. It's fucking gross. <laughs> So each of us have to go at least one minute and try to defend this series. And I have my, I, I have what I want to say, but Joey, you get first crack at it. Okay. Here's the things that I, I think that really works well for this franchise is when the franchise knows what it is doing, when it knows that Michael is like pure evil and like it doesn't need explanation, like it works really well. That's why like H2O kind of works. It's basically like, yeah, we know that he's going for his sister, but it's about like that, like ultimate good versus ultimate evil that when is talking about that really works and when they take visual risks I think it also works really well like when you see that in like Halloween 3 is the biggest visual risk of all time for those movies and I fucking love it and it works so well in the way that I think of like the opening shot and the reboot with, with the red checkered area when it takes the time to think about what it's doing and not try and emulate what it created those four five six are all emulating slashers that started because of Halloween and that's where that goes wrong but when and they lean into like what works with it like Laurie Strode or the tension building where like he hides in the shadows that works really well and it's one of the things that I love about these movies the tension of it more so than like the kill granted like the kills some of the kills are brutal and they're creative and I fucking love a good chunk like Halloween H2O has my favorite kill which is Josh Hartnett's friend gets killed and the lights are off and they look for her and he turns on the light and her like body is electrocuted and you see like the light shine up in her chest that is a, like a really good kill. And it also like leans into this like childlike play. If you understand like Michael Myers is this childlike play of who he is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say the newest one. So they had the Halloween 1, 2, 4, 5, 6. They had Halloween 1, 2, H2O Resurrection. They had Remake Halloween 1, Remake Halloween 2. And now they have Halloween 1, Halloween, the 2018 version. And then they're going to have this newest one, Halloween Kills. So this new like four movie series that they're doing based on the original. And I like the 2018 sequel that's a direct sequel to the first one. I think it has a lot of fun ideas. It goes back to the good evil kind of thing. It takes away the sister aspect where it's just Michael is killing because he kills and Lori throws herself pretty much 
much in his direction that he's just a bull in a china shop. He's not going after her anymore. He's just going after people. And she is just the only person who is prepared for him pretty much, uh, which is great. It has that sense of play, like you said, in the scene where they're in the bathroom and someone is murdered, but you don't know exactly what happened. But you do see Michael put his hand over the stall and just drop the teeth of the person he just killed in front of this woman. And it's a great suspense moment. So that's great. I think H2O is fantastic. They got Kevin Williamson who wrote Scream and it has this great moment where Michael's going through the library and he's flipping over tables looking for them. It's a great tension moment. I like this series exactly for the reason that you say when it's good versus evil, when it's just the bare bones of it and not trying to be Friday the 13th, I like it a lot because Michael is not Jason and I think a lot of movies tried to make him that because those movies were successful and they were trying to make a series that it just wasn't. And that's my defense. I think that's good defense, very reasonable. Mine is based on a mindset. Imagine you lived in a world, as these producers apparently believed they lived in, where the country is clamoring for a movie where babysitters are hunted down by murderers. They believe the universe they're in needs this more than anything. And they think, not only are we going to give this to them, we're going to give this to them using the same business model that built this country on the backs of stores like Spirit Halloween and brands like Count Chocula, where it is exists and is useful for maybe three to four weeks out of the year. What are you going to do but wholly commit <laughs> to this concept and go all in and milk this for as much as you possibly can? Count Chocula, basic idea. There are two things about Halloween you love, vampires and chocolate. Let's just put them together. You have a mask that is going to be the bulk of your money is now going to be from mask sales. What are you going to do but release a movie as often as humanly possible to get this out there? I understand the impulse. First one was a great movie. And after this, once you put in a clause that says he can't die, it's basically like, all right, well, I guess we have to make these forever then. I don't really see an alternative, but to keep going until movies cease to exist. I like how you did the Mustafa Akkad was right take that none of us would ever do. So I appreciate that you were willing to do that. I mean, not not for good reasons, but <laughs> but for reasons that make sense to a producer. Sure. You know, you got to give capitalism credit where capitalism is due. Yeah, it's a horrible system, uh, <laughs> but it led to many things. That pretty much covers it. Joseph William Gregory, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you so much for having me and, and just letting me like spew facts that I picked up about over the uh, Halloween movies. This was so much fun. I learned so much. It was amazing. Uh, so tell us again when about your film. Where can people come invest in this, help this get going? Great. So the film's name is Agora. We will have a website that will have like a link where you people can donate. We are not doing like the Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign. We're trying to raise the money ourselves and it's going to us because Kickstarter and Indiegogo, they tend to take like a good chunk of funds away from you. So we're doing that, but we'll have like on the website, we'll have a snippet of the script that you can read so you can See if you are engaged by it. It'll have a statement from us about it. It will also have like where the budget is going and it will have like a brief synopsis of the film and it'll look a little spooky where we think it's going to look pretty good. That's so exciting. Congratulations again for getting to, to get this made. We're going to have a link to that down in the show notes so our audience can hopefully go uh, donate and help this get going. Yeah. If for anyone who decides to, thank you so much. It makes my heart so full, even if you just go to the website to like read three pages of my script. That just makes me happy. And highly recommend, guys, please go do that. Joey, thank you so much for being here. Guys, thank you for listening. We had a blast. I hope you guys did too. As always, if you subscribe and give us five stars, it helps us out so much. We also have our Patreon down in the show notes that help us keep the show running. We're getting back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.